0: You know, it is not lost on me uh, the fact that we are celebrating our kids' ministry and VBS and all that happens here within our kids' ministry. It's not lost on me the fact that there are several families within our community who are grieving this morning in really terrible ways because their children have been taken away in a very, very brutal fashion. You know, it's true that every minute in our world, every 60 seconds, there is a murder that takes place. And that should surprise us and that should shock us, but when the murders take place in the ways that they have uh, in the last couple of days within our own community, it, um, it feels more like a Criminal Minds episode than it does real life. And for those of you who do not know what I'm talking about, four men were kidnapped um, this past week and then murdered on a farm just a few miles from here. You know, maybe this is part of the problem, you know, we've permitted our youth to play video games that celebrate this kind of thing. We have shows like Criminal Minds and we watch movies and we watch television that celebrates this kind of thing all the time. It's become normalized. This behavior has become normalized and we have desensitized ourselves to the fact that every 60 seconds in our world, someone is murdered, that someone took the life of another person until it shows up on our doorstep and then it shocks us and it hits us in the face and we're astonished by it. And so this morning we continue to grieve as a community and we pray for the families of those who are suffering this loss this morning lost their children or lost brothers or lost friends. And in light of this I have fervently been praying for my own children and not only my children within my household but the children of Restoration Church that that our children would have this ability to see trouble long before it comes that they would have the wisdom to know what to do with it, and they would have the courage to do what is right in the face of it. That's really been my prayer for my children and the children of Restoration Church throughout this whole situation. I pray that our children would not be passive in the face of situations like this, but they would take a courageous stand, and they would be leaders for God's justice. And that when they see their friends and, and, and their acquaintances at school who, who might be walking down a path that might lead to a situation like this someday in the future, that, that our children would be the leaders, and the ones interjecting and saying, there's a different way to live. There's a different kind of life. There's a life that we were designed to live that we are not living. And so let's do something about this. And so God, we pray that our children and the youth of restoration The youth of this community, the children of this community, would lead our community in justice and in mercy and in love and in restoration. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we are continuing our series uh, this morning, These Aren't Your Children's Bible Stories, Uh, by discussing a few of the lights of this guy right here. Uh, We all know who this is. Anybody know who this is? Moses. Moses, thank you. A very accurate description of him, I've I've been told, uh, as well. Uh, This is Moses parting the Red Sea. So we, for the next two weeks, are going to discuss a few of the events uh, in the life of Moses. Now, here's the thing, even if you don't uh, read your Bible, if you're not a a regular Bible reader, you probably know some things about the life of Moses. You probably know a few of the stories about his life, in part because Hollywood has been infatuated with the life of Moses uh, for nearly 100 years. I don't know if you guys know this, in 1923, the first film version of the Ten Commandments came out, and so Hollywood produced this version of the Ten Commandments. It was a silent film. Moses, he looks just like the guy in that picture, Right? Uh, this is a silent film, and this was epic filmmaking. You guys need to know how epic this was. Uh, this is incredible filmmaking, and people were astonished by the parting of the Red Sea. So they used a double exposure to do this, and they actually created these jello molds. You can see them right there. Those are jello molds. Okay, jello molds where they poured water over them and then they reversed it. That's incredible filmmaking, my friends. Um, Now, of course, this has been done dozens and dozens of times since 1923 on both film and in television. Hollywood has been infatuated with this story. Of course, the latest one is Exodus, Gods and Kings, starring Christian Bale, right? Anybody see that movie? Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's about right, and that's about the response it got, too. Um, But there is a fascination with this story, the story of the Exodus out of Egypt, and I think it makes sense because the Exodus is the paramount activity of God in the Old Testament paramount activity of God in the Old Testament. This defined the Jewish people. The Jewish people organized their calendars around this event. They organized their lives around this event because they celebrated the Passover every single year, and they made such a huge deal about the Passover and celebrating it and remembering what God had done so many thousands of years in the past. They sang the songs, and they told the stories, and they passed this cataclysmic event down through history as they told these stories from generation to generation to generation. This was the paramount activity of God in the Old Testament. And the reason that they did this and celebrated this so much was because the Exodus tells the story of a God who looked down on a fearful people and a people who were enslaved and a people who were oppressed. And he said, this is not the life that I have designed you for. This is not the life that I have dreamt for you. This is not the life that I have created for you. And not only did he say that, but then he made a pathway through it for the people to follow. He looked down on the people and said, I have created you for something so much different and so much more. And then he created a pathway for them to actually begin to live the life that he had created them to live. So, of course, we're going to celebrate this, right? Of course, the world is going to rally around this because oppression and fear and enslavement, these are all universal struggles. And I don't just mean like, you know, uh, Christians being oppressed by ISIS in the Middle East or Christians being oppressed by uh, North Korea or child slavery in the Philippines. I mean, these are universal struggles that we all struggle with. Fear and oppression and, and slavery of anxiety, and drug addiction, and sin, and worry, and alcoholism, and self-worthlessness. You see, the Exodus story addresses all of these. It's not just limited to uh, a people trapped under the oppression of the Egyptians. It addresses all of these scenarios. And you might think that because these events happened some 4,000 years ago to an ancient people that they just don't have any more relevance for us today. But what becomes so fascinating is that as you study the scriptures and the life of Jesus in particular and his ministry and his teaching, what he begins to do, especially towards the end of his ministry, is he begins to define and describe what he is doing and what he is up to in Exodus terminology. And so what God is doing for a group of people in the Old Testament, God is doing through Jesus for the entire world in the New Testament. And for those of us who choose then to follow him, Jesus says that we are to be his witnesses, that we are to carry the Exodus narrative, the Exodus story that that began so long ago, some 4,000 years ago, continued on a universal scale through Jesus. We are to carry that ministry with us wherever we go. My friends, we too are liberators. That role is not just defined to Moses. We too are liberators. We too are chain breakers. We too are called and empowered by the Spirit of God to set the captives free and to participate in, with jesus and god's redemptive work and so we are to look at the death that we see and we are to bring the resurrection into it and we are to look at the pain that we see and we are to bring healing into it and we are to look at the brokenness that we see and bring restoration into it so the question i want to address this morning and wrestle with you guys this morning is how do we do that If that's really what we're called to do as people and participating in this redemptive story of God, how are we to do this? And I think the Exodus narrative, as we talk about the story of Moses, gives us a few insights into how we are called to do that. So to catch you up to speed, if you're unfamiliar with this story so far, uh, the people of Israel have found themselves in Egypt because there was a great famine in the land. And the only place where they could get food was in the land of Egypt. We had talked about this last week of the story of Joseph and how the people came from uh, the, the land just north of Egypt and came down uh, into the land of Egypt so that they might have food and they were preserved. And now here's the thing. At the end of the book of Genesis, you flip one page in your Bible to the Exodus narrative, 400 years have gone by. That's how long has gone by as you flip that one page in Scripture. 400 years have gone by, and and the Israelites who came down to Egypt as a people of 70 have now grown to 600,000 people. And the Egyptians are afraid now because they have this foreign people in their land, and they are afraid that these people are going to overrun them, and so the Egyptians begin to enslave the people of God, and they treat them brutally and harshly. And During this enslavement, Moses is born. And if you're unfamiliar with the birth story of Moses, it's a great story. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 and read that for yourself. We're not going to address it this morning. It's a great story to understand. But by the time uh, Exodus 2 comes to an end, right, Moses is born at the beginning of Exodus 2. At the end of Exodus 2, 80 years have gone by, okay? So we've got 400 years in the turning one page, 80 years in the end of a chapter in another. That's how um, chronology works uh, in the Old Testament, Uh, But Moses is now an old man, and he's living out in the desert as a shepherd. And so he is carrying around with him something that might look something like this, a shepherd's staff, something that he could hook sheep with and and help them along in their journey to find water or pasture, whatever it may be. But during this time, where Moses is out in the desert being a shepherd, the people of God are being broken down in the land of Egypt. They're oppressed in the land of Egypt, and they're hurting, and they begin to cry out to God because of their slavery. They cry out to God because of the pain that they're experiencing. Here's what the text says, Exodus 2:24 through 25. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And so the Israelites are essentially experiencing life in a way that is broken. They recognize that this life is not working right. This life is not going the way that I had planned. This pain and this hurt and this tragedy that we're experiencing, this cannot be part of living in a right world. And so they cry out to God, right? My experience in this world is frustrating and painful and stressful. I can never seem to get ahead. I keep falling into old traps. I can never get out of this oppression. There's a tyrant who is uh, ruling over me, Maybe, you guys some, maybe some of you guys see yourself in that story. Maybe some of you guys have felt that. The tyranny of oppression, whether it be from worry or fear, stress and anxiety, whatever it may be, we're supposed to see ourselves in this story. And so God is for us as well, not just for the ancient people, but God is for us even in this story. And here's what the people did. They, they recognized that life wasn't working right. They recognized the oppression and the fear and the tyranny that they were under. And the text says that they begin to cry out to God. Now, the Hebrew word for cry could also be translated plead or to beg. And so this is a people who are under the weight of this burden. They don't want to live under this burden anymore. And so they cry out to God, please, God, will you do something about my situation? I am helpless in the midst of this situation. Whatever it may be, I'm helpless. So God, would you please do something about it? I'm begging you for mercy. I do not want to live in this pain and in this tyranny and this oppression any longer. So God, please, please, please do something. You know, I was having a conversation with a, with a young man this past weekend. He asked me uh, a question, so the conversation began. He said, why did God create cancer? I was like, oh, that's an interesting question, you know. Uh, but the, my retort was, the, the thing I came back to him was, why do you assume that God created cancer? You know, wh- where did you get that idea that God was the, cr- the originator of cancer and the creator of cancer? And he retorted, and he backpedaled a little bit, and he said, okay, well, uh, maybe he didn't create cancer, but isn't God all-powerful? You know, isn't God all good? If he really cared about those people with cancer, don't wouldn't he just do something about it? And so here's what's interesting about the way that we have typically come to talk with God when life doesn't seem to go our way. We say things like, God, if you really loved me, then I would not be going through this pain right now. And God, if you really cared for me, then, then you would take away this hurt. Or God, if, if you were really all-powerful and you really loved us, then, then you would take away my mother's cancer. But do you see how entitled that is? Do you hear the entitlement in all of that? Instead of inviting God's healing and rescuing hand into our situations, we, we blame him for their happening and we accuse him of being apathetic to the woes of life. But I want you to look at how God addresses Moses, right? The people are under this oppression. They're under the fear and the anxiety and and the pain that comes with the oppression that they are under. And so God addresses Moses in the form of a burning bush, and he says this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I am not blind. I am not deaf. Their cries are not falling on deaf ears. I have seen and I've heard the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. I am concerned about their situation. I actually do care. And so what have I done? I have come down to rescue them. Right, so hearing the cries of the oppressed, hearing the cries of the hurting and those in pain, hearing their cries is not merely something God does. It is an attribute of His. It is a characteristic. It is a description of who God is. God is the God who hears the cries of the oppressed. God is the God who hears the cries of the hurting. God is the God who hears the cries of those who are grieving and mourning because this life is not working right. See, God is on the side of the oppressed and the fearful and the miserable and the hurting and the lonely. And so if you guys can relate to any of that this morning, you need to know something, that God is on your side, that he hears and that he cares. And just like this, right, God has come down to the rescue to liberate a people in ancient Egypt. So God heard the cries of the oppressed and those who were embedded in sin, and he came down to liberate us from that oppression as well. You see, God came down to rescue us, and the answer to to what has God done about my pain, and what has God done about my hurt, and what has God done about my stress and my anxiety and my sin What has God done about the rot in my own heart? Well, the answer always takes the shape of a cross. The answer always takes the shape of an empty grave. God has gone to an infinite length in order to rescue us and to give us his spirit so that we wouldn't have to live in that life any longer. But I love how this story continues. You know, Moses is probably thinking, Oh, great. God, this is going to be incredible. What are you going to do? Are you going to, you know create a giant fireball and, and throw it and hurl it from the heavens and just annihilate the Egyptians? God, that would be so awesome. Is that what you're going to do? Oh, God, are you just going to, are you going to create a massive earthquake and just swallow all of the Egyptians whole? <laughs> that, that would do the job, right? God, is that what you're going to do? I cannot wait to see, God, how you were going to rescue your people out of the hands of Egypt. And this is a, this is what I love about scripture, you know? It's like, it's, it's humorous at times and it just pokes you in the eyes at times and it just stabs you in the heart at times. Because I love what God says here. I, I, actually, I have a love-hate relationship with it, actually. But you gotta read the scripture slowly so you don't just breeze past this kind of stuff, my friends. You gotta read the scripture slowly. This is what God says as Moses is inquiring as to what are you going to do. Here's what God says. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, the Israelites. What does he say next? Let's say this together. So now go. <laughs> no, God, really? Uh, you, you must have me mistaken with somebody else, right? I, I thought you were going to throw a fireball from the sky and annihilate them, but your plan to rescue the Israelites is for me to go? <laughs> oh, that, That's good, God. That's, that's really good guys, here's the thing. If this doesn't just knock you upside the head, if you just don't want to laugh at this, if you're just not like blown away by this, here's the only thing that I can assume about you. You are living such a radical life. You are living such a missional life. You are doing so much good in your community for the kingdom of God that you have been desensitized to the fact that you have been sent. If this does not just knock you upside the head, then you just must be living in it constantly, that you've just become accustomed to the fact that you have been sent. And we think, well, well, sure, Ross, this is given to Moses, right? He had a burning bush telling him to do this. Like, I don't have that burning bush, right? I had that burrito ate for lunch, and that kind of feels like a burning bush. I kind (laughs) of, it's like, like God talking to me sometimes, right? But like, I don't know, like, is God calling me to go? And so here, here's what's so fascinating. Remember that, that the Jesus ministry is defined in Exodus language so often, right? Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, actually, just before he d- departed earth, he comes to all the people who have chosen to follow him. Not, not all of them, uh, in the select group at this point, but he comes to the disciples that have followed him. And he says this then, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me can we read this next line together? So now go. This isn't given to Moses, my friends. This is given to the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Therefore go, so now go, because the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I'm not just leaving you to do this by yourselves. I am going to be with you. To the very end of the age, I will be with you. And see the commissioning of the disciples and the calling of Moses, aren't they just eerily similar? That this wasn't just something that Moses was called to do. This is something that all people who have committed to Jesus are called to do. We are called to carry Jesus' redemption and his restoration and his resurrection with us wherever we go. But to get back to the Moses story, right? God is calling Moses to set his people free. But as is typical of every single human being, I think, who, <laughs> who gets this so-now-go commissioning towards them, Moses is like, God you, you <laughs> God, you must have the wrong guy. All right, God, you cannot be serious, God. You cannot be looking at me to, to liberate my people. Don't you know, God, that I just got married like 40 years ago? You know, like, I'm still on my honeymoon. You can't, I can't go now. Uh, I have children. I have responsibilities. I have things that I'm committed to here. I can't go back to Egypt to liberate my people. I, 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 I stutter when, when I talk. I'm not a good leader. You know, I, God, you must have the wrong liberator. You must, you must have thought about somebody else when you called them to do this. And, and I just happened to walk past the bush when somebody else was supposed to walk past the bush. You know, it's like, God, you have the wrong guy. I'm not good at this thing. I'm not good at this thing. And so for an entire chapter, Exodus 3, Moses makes up excuses as to why he can't go, right? He has no power. Um, no one is going to listen to him. He's not good at this liberating thing. He's never done anything like this before. He's a bad choice. He stutters. It's never going to work. And so God says this, "'Well, Moses, you know that I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain.'" And Moses has just got to be thinking, no, you know, God, thanks for the support and all. Um, but you realize how like this is like worthless advice uh, for the most part. You're basically saying that the proof that you will accomplish through me this incredible task of liberating my people is actually accomplishing the liberation of my people. It, it's kind of like saying um, the proof that you will have a new job, you know, you, you recently lost your job. The proof that you will have a new job is that in six weeks you will get a paycheck from a new job. And you're like, how was that helpful right now? like the proof that you're going to do this is me actually accomplishing it, That is not helpful. that is not helpful in this situation. No, Moses still has to go through this whole liberating thing and the only proof that he will succeed is him actually succeeding? It's kind of like God is almost saying, Moses, trust me. Trust me. Don't trust the situation in front of you. Don't trust that you, by your own power, can accomplish. Trust that I am sending you. Trust me. Don't trust your abilities, trust me. And isn't that so often a problem? When we see trouble and we see problems in our own communities, in our own life experiences, we think, man, I can't do anything about this. But what if God is saying in the midst of all that, trust me, trust that I am the one sending you. Do not trust your own abilities in light of what you're about to do. Trust that I am the one sending you. And so after a little conversation, they get past the why me question, and then begin to move on to the how question. Okay, God, you are calling me, okay? Sure, I get that. So how is it going to happen? You know, what's the strategy? What are we going to do? And this is why I love scripture. This is why scripture is so funny, and it hits you in the eyes, and it, it pierces your heart. And this is why you can't read past scripture so quickly. You have to stall, and you have to sit on it, and you have to Ask yourself, what is God trying to say? Because Moses comes to God and he says, what's the strategy? you have calling me to liberate my people. What are we going to do? And here's what God says. Well, what's that in your hand? And Moses looks over and he's like, it's a shepherd's staff. You know, all the shepherds have one. You know, there's nothing special about this. Uh, it might be the latest model, granted, but uh, it's, uh, it's, there's nothing special uh, about this and then he starts to think no god you you, you can't be serious god no 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 you god you, seriously seriously god you want me to go and liberate an enslaved people from the world's most superpower with a stick you want this to be the object of liberation this is what you want me to use to liberate your people and god is like yeah let's use your stick let's use your staff Let's go use what you have, the resources at your disposal. Let's go use what is in your hand to go and liberate the people. What do you got? What do you have? What's in your hand? How can we use it? You know, I heard, something, uh, heard a message given by an, an officer in the Salvation Army uh, who was stationed in Australia. And it's, I don't know if you know this, but Australia has legalized the sex industry. And so in every community, she was talking about this, in every community there's a 7-Eleven, a library, a school, and a brothel. Just their brothels are everywhere in Australia it's become commonplace and uh And she got this call one day from <clears throat> an elderly woman that had a particular issue, and so they met up for coffee to to discuss the issue. Now, the elderly woman said that her phone number was only two digits different from her local brothel, and she kept getting these wrong number calls from these men asking for the the pleasures that they would experience inside this brothel, and she was getting irritated, and she was getting frustrated, and she didn't want to have this burden anymore. And so she had decided one day that she was going to go down and change her number at the phone company, but earlier that morning, she was reading in her Bible, and she had the, kind of this burning bush experience, right? She felt God was talking to her. And God was asking, why, why are you going to change your number? And she was like, well, God, obviously, this is a burden. This is stupid. I don't want all these wrong number calls all day long. This is irritating. It's ruining my day all the time. And he was like, yeah, I, I know about the calls. I, I'm aware of your situation, so, so why do you want to change your number? And she began to feel like, you know, maybe— Maybe God is calling me to do something about this situation. Maybe God is calling me to do something about the problem and, and the trouble in my community rather than avoid it and run away from it. And so she met with the, the officer of the Salvation Army to ask for her advice. And so they sat down um, over, over coffee, and this officer um, of the Salvation Army said, well, you know, what would you normally do? You know, if someone uh, new were to move onto your street, what would you normally do? Or if you were to see an accident on your street, what would you do? Or if, you know, a friend of yours was to get hurt or injured, what, what would you do? Well, well, the elderly woman said, that's easy. You know, I would, I would take a uh, box of cupcake mix, and I would make it some cupcakes, and I would walk over, and I would introduce myself. And the officer in the Salvation Army said, that's it. That, that, that's the strategy. And, and the elderly woman's like, what? That's the strategy? That that's what you want me to do, is make some cupcakes and go introduce myself? And she's like, yeah, that's the strategy. And she said, I'll even go with you. And so they, they planned to meet up that following Tuesday uh, to go over to the brothel and to introduce themselves. Uh, but while they, they met together and they spent some time in, in prayer, uh, the woman, the elderly woman, had um, heard, again, another burning bush experience, had heard that, that she was supposed to do this all by herself, that she was supposed to do it alone. And so she told the officer of the Salvation Army, and, and the officer of the Salvation Army said, yeah, 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 okay, but I am the professional. You know, this is like what I do for a living. I go into areas of injustice and I bring justice. But the elderly woman said, yeah, that might be true, but I'm the neighbor. And in the kingdom of God, neighbor trumps professional every single time. And so this elderly woman, you know, took her cupcakes up to the the door of the brothel and she knocked on on the door of the brothel and the manager comes out and he's like, uh... (laughs) do you have the wrong place? Like, are you here on purpose? Did you get lost? Do you need directions somewhere? Like, what can I help you with? And she's like, well, I brought some cupcakes. (laughs) And she was like, she was scared out of her mind. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. She was just so scared and so anxious by the situation. But she was like, I brought some cupcakes. And uh, and the manager was like, cupcakes, all right. Yeah, come on in. And so this elderly woman was invited into the brothel because of her cupcakes. And she sat down with all of these women and she chatted with them. And she said, you know what, guys, I'm sorry, I I live just on the road, I am your neighbor. I'm sorry that I haven't been here sooner, I'm sorry that I haven't come and introduced myself, but I have some cupcakes with you and, and I plan to be back next Tuesday if that would be okay and I'd love to continue to get to know you. And they said, yeah, we'd love that, come on back next Tuesday. And now this woman goes into 68 brothels every week, she and several others go into 68 brothels every week. In 12 different cities, they speak to 10 different languages. They've stopped trafficking rings. They've witnessed before Parliament, they've rescued hundreds of women from the sex trade industry, and they've given hope and dignity to hundreds more. And all of these things because a grandma saw a problem in her community, and she said, what do I have at my disposal? A box of cupcakes? I guess that's what's in my hand. But maybe God can use it to liberate all of these people from the sex trade industry. And so, my friends, what's in your hand? A cupcake? Is it a shepherd's staff? I mean, this is the strategy? God isn't calling the professionals. He's calling the neighbors. God isn't calling the equipped. He's calling those who are willing to do and to trust what he has called them to do. And I think that he's asking us to open up our eyes too to the oppression that we see, to the slavery we see, to the hurt that we see and the burdens that we see in our communities and in our households and in our lives. And then when we complain that, God, I'm not gifted enough, or I have nothing to offer, God, or you haven't done, you've chosen the wrong person to go out and do this, we need to remember that God says you're not going to be alone because you're not trusting in your ability to accomplish a task. You're trusting in the one who is sending you towards the task. And then you need to ask yourself, well, what's in my hand? What do I have at my disposal? What can I use to do what God has called me to do. It's almost as if God is asking us to trust him as well. Now here's the thing. I don't want us to be a church that has to tell other people's stories. I don't want to have to be a church that has to tell stories of things that happened in Australia. I hope that we can see the problems and the oppression that we see and we can enter into them because we are called to enter into them. Right? Maybe what's in your hand is the recognition of a problem. Maybe you have the eyes to actually see the problem in front of you, and that's a gift that God has given you. And maybe what's in your hand is then a box of cupcake mix, and you have a neighbor, and you have a listening ear. Maybe that's what God has equipped you with to go into the situation, to deal with it. Or maybe you have a dream. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand as a dream. I I think of Josh and Ann and how uh, God has put this dream in their heart to see that every single youth would know that they are lovable, capable, and worthwhile. And that they would know that they are not alone and that every single youth would know that they are loved without strings. And they want every single youth within our community and our local area to know this and have these truths firmly embedded in them. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand as a dream. And then you follow God because you trust what he is calling to you. And they left Virginia to come to Restoration Church to start Treehouse, this incredible ministry towards youth in the area. And now Treehouse is multiplying to other churches around us, and they're seeing tens and tens and tens of youth coming to know these very important truths and seeing life change right in front of them. Maybe that's what's in your hand is a dream and an ability to trust God. Maybe what you have in your hand is an invitation you know, I can only imagine, I, I, don't, I don't know the, the stories or the lives that these four young men lived who were recently murdered in our community, but I can only imagine what would have happened if somewhere along the way, early in their teenage years, what would have happened if, if someone would have come along and said, you know what, there is this ministry called Treehouse. I want you to come with me. Or what if Cosmo DeNardo, right, the, the, the primary suspect, or I guess can confessor now, the murders? What if someone would have come along early on in his childhood and said, hey, there's this ministry called Treehouse. Will you come with me? I'm inviting you into this. How might life have been different in our community because of that? Maybe what you have is an invitation. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand. Maybe you have time. Maybe you have a story, you know. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand. Maybe you have an experience. Maybe you have a past. Maybe, Maybe you have an experience of being an addict, And now you have a life of sobriety and what you have now is an ability to mentor other people who are in a similar situation that they might find freedom just like you have. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand. Maybe you have strength. You know, maybe you have $38 to sponsor a compassion child. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand to to release children from poverty in the name of Jesus. Maybe you have a willingness. Maybe you have a story of life change, of experiencing the grace of God for yourself. Maybe that's what God has put into your hand. Just a year ago, around the same time, I was in Bolivia, and I had this incredible opportunity to meet uh, the mother of one of the children that we sponsor. I met our child's sponsor as well, and it's just a really incredible experience. But I I was sitting down at a park talking with his mother one day, and she was telling me the story about how how, um, every single morning, to provide for her family, she has to get on a bus at 4 a.m., and she has to travel two hours to a quarry where she makes bricks by hand. And she does this for eight to ten hours a day, and she does it for seven days a week. She doesn't get to see her family. But she does this because that's the only means of of providing for her family, the little providing that she can do for her family. And what was really burdening her about all of this, what was so burdensome is that she had to do this seven days a week, and she wasn't able to go to church on Sunday mornings. And she felt and she believed somewhere along the way, she came up with this impression that if she could not come to church on Sunday morning, that she wasn't accepted by God. That she wasn't saved if she didn't show up to church on Sunday morning. She had this religion that she was hanging her salvation on. And so I I was sitting down at a park and I had a translator next to me. She was speaking Spanish. And and, uh, I opened up my Bible to Ephesians chapter 2 and I shared with her this incredible gift of grace that God has given us. And after I'd done reading Ephesians 2 with her and I talked with her a little bit, she just began to sob. And she began to weep because she had experienced for the first time in her whole life the freedom that comes with the grace of God. And then I invited her into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe what's in your hand is the grace of God that you have already received. And you are called to share that now and bring that into your communities. I'm going to invite Emily forward, and she's going to sing a final song for us as we close up our service. So um, uh, imagine for a minute, Moses had just had this experience of the burning bush, and he goes back to his wife, Zipporah, and uh, he's like, Hey, you know, honey, I just was talking to a burning bush out in the desert. And she was like, "Oh." okay yeah honey um let's call the police okay and uh and then she was like you know this this burning bush was talking to me and he's told me to go and liberate our people from the Egyptians and she's like oh okay honey uh what's the number for the psych ward okay she's like you know this is crazy it sounds crazy sometimes right that God has called us to do something so significant it's going to be interpreted as crazy by a lot of people and even maybe by you, you know, the person who has received it. It's going to sound crazy at times. But what I've come, not only come to realize over the years, but rely on is the simple truth that is God is for me. If God is the one who has called me towards this, right? It's actually the burning bush speaking and not that burrito I had for lunch, right? That distinction is important to make. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. Um, if it's actually God calling us to do something, then God's not going to let us fail. And, and Emily and I have had to rely on that time and time and time again as we have moved from Minnesota three, four years ago to plant this church. That God's not going to let it fail because he is the one you are trusting in. Not your ability to accomplish something, but you're trusting in the God who has sent you. God will not let us fail. And what becomes later uh, evident later in the Old Testament story is that God was not just freeing the Israelites for the Israelites' sake. He was freeing the Israelites for the sake of the entire world. And we see this in the uh, Jesus story as well, as he begins to use Exodus language to define his ministry. And so my friends, when you are free, it's not just for you, it's not just for your sake, it is for the sake of your entire community. It's for the sake of the whole world. When you are free, what we ought to do is invite the world into our freedom, because we are those who are participating in God's redeeming work. And so my question for you this morning is, how are you going to do that? What's in your hand? What does God put at your disposal that you can use? Is it a story? Is it an invitation? Is it a life transformation in the grace of God that has met you? What is in your hand? What resource has God given you that you might look at the world and the problems around us and say, I can enter into that because I'm trusting in the God who has called me into it, not in my ability to do something about it, but the God who has sent me. And with this, whatever it may be in my hand, and the God alongside me, we will see the redemptive work of Jesus Christ.